Greet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life because the Mets are really sucking the ball. Knocking those home runs over the wall. East side, west side. Everybody's coming down to meet the M-E-T-S Mets from Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a fun show for you this week. Obviously, I'm very pumped up right now. The Mets are back. They are in playoff contention after being left dead and buried at the break. We're going to talk about the Mets today, how I feel about everything in the opening tip coming up in just a minute. I'm also going to be joined by Bill Bender of the Sporting News to offer a preview of the college football season. That's right, college football right around the corner. We're going to have a preview with Bill Bender about the big headlines, highs and front runners, all that good stuff in just a bit. We'll also cover a little hard knocks, talk about the Oakland Raiders. The first episode aired last Tuesday, and some headlines out of that camp with the latest melodrama surrounding Antonio Brown. Offer my take on that as well. And stay tuned to the end of this week's Two Minute Drill. We're going to talk about the MLB's Field of Dreams game. In case you have not heard, the MLB is going to have a game in Iowa near the set of the movie Field of Dreams with the Yankees and the Chicago White Sox next year. They're building a pop-up stadium that you can walk through the cornfields to get to. That's going to be pretty awesome. I have some thoughts on that, what they should do going forward with some of these out-of-market kind of games as well. But we'll get it all started with the Mets in this week's opening tip right after this. 2-1 to Frazier. And Todd breaks oh. one. Deep left field. Down the line. That ball is out of here. Out of here. It is a home run. Home run. This game is tied. Todd Frazier with the Mets' biggest hit of the season thus far. A game-tying three-run homer. And it's 6-6 to in the ninth. And now the potential winning run is at second. Two down and Michael Conforto coming up. Now a base hit could win it for New York. The 2-2 pitch. Swing and a drive to right. Eaton going back. Eaton still going. It's over his head. The Mets are going to win. Here comes Lagaris around third. He scores standing. Put it in the box. The New York Mets with one of their most memorable come-from-behind wins in years. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That close call is heard courtesy of SNY's Gary Cullen, WCBS's Howie Rose. And cut, recapping the dramatic end to the Mets win over the Washington Nationals on Friday night. They come back from three runs down the ninth to tie the game on the Todd Frazier three-run homer. Frazier with the epic bat flip at the Washington dugout. That was fantastic. Michael Conforto with the walk-off RBI double. And the Mets were just obliterating the baseball. They come back, have this great win. They have been incredible to watch over the last couple of weeks in case people have forgotten this team was dead and buried after a dreadful dreadful june i remember back on this podcast back in late in mid-june after edwin diaz blew the save in the rain delay should we stop the game no let's keep playing game against the cardinals i remember that game when they lost like i said that's it that was where the season ended and i'm so disgusted i don't want to go a met game again this year i'm so fed up with them they went after that, had a miserable couple of weeks, hit the all-star break 40 and 50. 10 games under 500, second worst record in the National League, only better than the Miami Marlins. Since then, they have gone 21 and 7 to go from just out of the Marlins to a game out of the wild card spot in the National League. And this is insane. What's happened with this team is ridiculous. I mean, they came out of the break to start playing a little well. They won two out of three against Miami, swept the Twins in Minnesota for our two-game set, won four in a row. I remember at that point, this is before the soft part of the schedule began, when they had the Giants, the Marlins, the Padres, the Pirates, and the White Sox coming up. I went on Twitter. I posted on Twitter. I said, you know what? This playing well is nice. I Mickey was talking about, oh, you know, we're back in this. We can get ourselves back into it. I said, you know what? Prove me wrong, guys. This is a slate of schedule where if you want me to take you serious as a contender over these next 20 games against subpar teams, go 15-5. and five. Go 15-5 and five against the bad competition, and I will buy in. What do they do after that? They went 15-5. and five. 
and that included a streak where they won, I believe. They had a seven-game winning streak. They lost the Pirates. Then they whipped off another eight straight wins. That is insane. And the Mets have been on fire. It feels like with them, the trade deadline was a bit of a turning point for this team because they were playing well. They had lost a series to the Giants. They went 5-1 on a homestand. Then they get to Chicago. They pick up Marcus Stroman on the Monday before that series. Then this whole speculation we had on the podcast, like, oh, are they trading away Noah Syndergaard or Zach Wheeler because they got Marcus Stroman? Are we trading away Edwin Diaz while his value is 50 cents on the dollar, even less than that now? Are we doing that? And then they decided, nope, we're going to stick with what we have. No one gave what they wanted for this. No one gave them a Trevor Bauer-like hole for Noah Syndergaard, and no one gave them a lot for Zach Wheeler. So they said, you know what? We'll roll with what we have. We'll keep making a push. See what happens. So at that turning point, the group bought in. Having Stroman walk in probably is a big lift that locker saying, you know what? Madison believes in us. They brought a guy like that in here to help us win right now. So let's reward their faith. And they have crushed the sport ever since. Now, I get all the complaints. They didn't play anybody. Their schedule was terrible. Of course they're going to beat up on the Marlins and the Padres and the White Sox and the Pirates. You know what? You can't blame them for the schedule that's put in front of them. You cannot blame them for the fact they have to play all those bad teams in a row. They still have to win the baseball games. Those are still professional athletes on the other side of the field. You still have to go out there and put your best effort out there. You can't just throw your hats and helmets on the field and say, you know, we're going to win the baseball game. They did that. They not just, you know, win a series. They just go two out of three, two out of three, two out of three. They were a sweeping series. They swept the White Sox. They swept the Pirate City Field. They swept the four-game set against the Marlins. That puts them in position to get the big series against Washington over the weekend. And City Field was electric there. And you remember what I said earlier in June? I said, I'll never go back again. They brought me back in. I ended up going on Saturday night against the Nationals. And boy, that building was jacked up for this game. This crowd was hyped from the go. There were sellouts every day. As I got there early. I got there at like 6 o'clock. About 15 minutes before the game started, 80% of the people were in their seats ready for the baseball game. And the sound of that building is special when that, that crowd gets into it. I've been there for David Wright night. I've been there for two playoff games. That's how loud it was for a regular season weekend in August against the Nationals with the playoffs potentially on the line. The Mets have this special fan base where you can, they get so hyped because stuff almost never goes their way. When they see something magic happen, they want to buy in. They want to help the team on, and that was so much fun to be a part of. This team is doing special things, and they may not be done yet. There's still only a game out of the playoffs right now. Is the division a possibility against Atlanta? They still have eight games left against the Braves. They game with three tonight, starting tonight in Atlanta. Six more in City Field down the stretch. So why isn't first place a possibility? They have been as good as any team in baseball over the last month. Why not? Sometimes with this team, you just feel like that they go on a magic carpet ride and that something supernatural is kind of happening. That there's stuff that you can't explain that just doesn't make sense. Like, Friday night's comeback shouldn't have happened. They were down three in the ninth inning against a good closer in Sean Doolittle, who I know has gotten hammered by the Mets over, over the point of this year. But three runs in the ninth, not many teams come back from that. They didn't want it. Saturday night, Luis Guillorme comes up in the eighth inning with the Mets down 3-2. Leading off the pinch hitter, one of the lightest hitters I've ever seen. He gets a 3-2 and two out of all the ballparks saying, okay, please don't strike out. Please just get a walk, get on base so we can start the rally. He launches a homer to the Shea Bridge. That is insane. And the Mets are like this, where they have these runs where most of the time they're irrelevant, but when they get going and they go on these rides, they are special rides. You don't forget what happens with them. They just sort of take off, take you on a ride, and have a magical journey. 2015 was a lot like this. 2015, once the United States showed up, they sweep the Nationals in that late July series, take off to the pennant, and then never look back. 2000 was that way a bit as well. 99 was that way. 86, you can go on and on. They have, go on these magic rides at these magic moments with the Mets. There's never a dull, like, 
we're just cruising through the year. We're going to get to the playoffs. We're going to get there. No, they make it very exciting. That's a lot of fun. And that is appealing to players. Last week, they had holes in their roster. They got two guys off the waiver wire with resumes who were having a bit of down year. Joe Panic coming in for second base, the local product coming back home. Brad Brock, the former All-Star reliever, got cut by the Cubs. They had multiple offers from other teams. They came here because they wanted to help the Mets win. That says a lot about the kind of magic that's pervading this building. And there's a good chance they can sustain this. The starting pitching has been dynamic. The rotation goes deep into games every night. And then these guys are all putting up good efforts. And that puts less pressure on the bullpen to win. And it gives them a great chance every time someone takes the ball, they have a shot to win the game. The lineup has definitely been dinged up a bit. They haven't had Brandon Nimmo for weeks. They haven't had Jed Lowry all season. They lose Don Smith late in the late in July. They lose Robinson Cano a week ago. And they're still producing. You're getting contributions from the likes of Guillaume, your J.D. Davises, your guys like that. People are stepping up and filling roles for this team. There could also be more help on the way to this group. Brandon Nimmo is supposed to be heading out on a rehab assignment this week. If he does, maybe he's back by September. Don Smith, a few weeks too. Imagine if Jed Lowry decides he wants to play. That week, the Mets bench is very weak right now because obviously of all these injuries. You start getting guys back all of a sudden, that bench is not bad. They still have some issues. They still have to fix Edwin Diaz. They still have to get guys in the bullpen going aside from Seth Lugo, who is the one man in the circle of trust. Justin Wilson's trying to get in there, but he hasn't been strong of late. But... Those are the guys they need to get right, but there's something in the water in Queens right now. They have become the most exciting story in baseball right now. And for it's a lot of fun because the Yankee fans, you know you're going to the playoffs. You're, you're battling Houston for home field. That's not really exciting because you know you're there. You know you're going to be hosting the first round. The AL East is over. And Houston has their division locked up, so they're just kind of jousting for who will host a Game 7 they meet in the, in the ALCS. That's not that exciting now. It'll matter more in October, sure. But right now, not exciting. What the Mets have done is become must-see television. Every night you tune in, you're thinking, something crazy is going to happen tonight. Whereas the Luis Guillaume homer, the rally in the ninth, three homers in the seventh inning against the Marlins and gained to the doubleheader on mo- last Monday. A lot of fantastic stuff happening in Queens. It's truly thrilling, and I cannot wait to see where this run goes. We'll check in more on the Mets as the weeks progress, but up next, we're going to talk some college football with Bill Bender of the Sporting News right after this. And backpedaling Lawrence flips it open, wide open. Justin Ross, off and running. The Alabama native wins the foot race, and Clemson strengthens its grip on this championship game. Wow, gut punch by Clemson right there. And the offensive line doing just enough to keep Quentin Williams and Anthony Jennings out to give Trevor Lawrence a chance to make that throw. Trevor was stumbling, but he wanted to turn his head quickly because he knew he had a big play. All right, we are back on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Time to go take a look into the college football season. Joining me today is a writer who covers college football for the Sporting News. Bill Bender is with us today. Bill, welcome. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. No, I'm really glad you came on. And obviously, college football, very exciting storylines this year. And I feel like the big headline, as always, is the whole Alabama-Clemson. I feel like they've been in the playoff every single year that the college football playoff has gone on. So do you think that they are mortal locks to go back again? Well, you never want to say mortal, but I mean, as close to that as you can be. It's obviously cast a shadow over the entire sport, quite honestly, where we're kind of like Warriors Cavs, except LeBron's not leaving. And, uh, you know, these are the two best teams, two best programs, two best coaches, the two most talented rosters. And then when you factor all that on top of that, you have the two best quarterbacks. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough to pick anybody else unless you want to say Georgia, maybe Ohio State. But after that, you're starting to stretch. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Imagine the two big quarterbacks, uh, Trevor Lawrence or Clemson, uh, Tua Tagovailoa for Alabama, and sports they put their college football preview out. They call it the year of the quarterback in college football. Do you agree? I mean, with those two, that's pretty good. Jake Fromm's a really good one at third. Um, 
you know, when we did our top 25 list, and I, you know, I didn't see what Sports Illustrated did. I know they do good work over there, but, uh, you know, with what we do, um, you know, we had Lawrence from Tua was second, from third, and then after that, there's still some good ones, too. I mean, whether it's Kellen Mond or Justin Fields or Jalen Hurts and the intrigue with some of those guys that transferred, starting to see that pan out with Tate Martell. Yeah, I mean, this the quarterback is, is the story of the season always. Yeah, and another one that's right there, Justin Herbert in Oregon, too, who last year probably would have been the number one pick in the NFL draft if he actually came out. Yeah, I mean, certainly. A guy that has a lot on the line, starting with the opener. Uh, you know, when they play Auburn in Jerry World and his decision to come back, and Oregon has recruited well. They've got a couple freshman difference makers as well. Um, he certainly could improve his draft stock as well. So, yeah, I mean, certainly another guy like him. And then you look at up the road there, Washington with uh, – Eason, the Georgia transfer, I think that's what makes it so interesting is, one, you already have some of these five-star guys in the right spots, and then two, so many guys transferred that you almost need a guide to, to figure out where these guys went and, and where they are now. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I think I was reading the SI, they had a whole map where people are going. That's that's size of the point. So I think for sure it seems like it seems like definitely Quark will win the Heisen this year. Would you consider Lawrence or Tua Tagovailoa the front runner? Yeah, but but I always tell people, and, and you know, if you're asking me, hey, you got to pick the Heisman, I would pick one of those two guys. No, don't get me wrong, but um, the the award can be very fickle. We found that out last year, where Tua led the whole way. I mean, we were talking about Tua having the largest gap in Heisman history um, before before Tyler kind of snuck in at the end. And I mean, this is an award where Lamar Jackson, Johnny Manziel, RG three have kind of seemingly come out of nowhere to win it it is stats based is what i'm trying to say and you know Tua and Tua and trevor might be sitting a lot of fourth quarters yeah yeah that's true i definitely didn't consider that so it'll be a definitely fluid race so who are some non-quarterbacks you think could be a factor in the heisen race um you know jonathan taylor at, at wisconsin travis Etienne at clemson there uh there are a couple guys that uh certainly could be in that discussion um Jerry Judy as a wide receiver. I mean, he might be the best player in the country. And, you know, unfortunately with him, you know, it, that would mean Tua would have a monster year as well. So it's tough for him to win the award. I mean, Najee Harris could have a breakout season as well. Um, you know, the last two non-quarterbacks to win it were Alabama running backs. So knowing all that, it's going to be uh, tough for anybody but a quarterback to win it, though. I always tell people, if you're, if you're betting on a non-quarterback, you're, you're, you're already stretching. Yeah, for sure. So let's take a quick look at the Power 5 leagues. We'll go one at a time here. We'll start with Clemson in the ACC. Who do you think are the biggest challengers to them in that league? Oh, I mean, Syracuse. They play them early. They play them on the road. It's a tough game. Um, you know, if, if Clemson turns that series, the Syracuse and Texas A&M game and gets a couple big wins, I mean, it'd be hard not to pencil them into the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I think there's other challenges within the conference, but Syracuse certainly within the division. Maybe on the other side, you know, it's such a wide-open division, it's hard to say that any one of those teams could take uh, Clemson out once or, you know, let alone twice. And when they get to Charlotte, they know how to get it done. So it's tough to see anybody really beating Clemson once they get there. All right, let's go to the SEC. Obviously, Alabama, the favorite there. Georgia's a big threat. Who else in the SEC could give those two a run for their money? Um, You know, we have uh, six SEC teams in our top 15, so – Outside of Alabama, Georgia, I mean, obviously Georgia's biggest test will be Florida in the SEC East. Dan Mullins built some talent, coached the quarterbacks well, has good defense, and they'll be in the mix. And then in the West, I mean, Texas A&M with Kellen Mond, he gets to play against Trevor Lawrence. He gets to play against Tua Tungvaluwa. He showed a ton of confidence at SEC Media Days, and he's that kind of guy. I think LSU and Auburn, obviously, also will challenge Alabama. So, And then when you look at the crossover game, you know, Auburn and LSU, or Auburn gets Georgia, LSU gets A&M, or no, that's not a crossover game, LSU gets Florida, so, I mean, that makes it fun in a lot of ways that, that these teams um, get to play each other, but that's, I mean, when you talk about the top 15, that's really the teams that I look at that can compete for a college football playoff berth, and six of them came from the SEC, so there's, they're, the, they're the one conference, what I'm trying to say, that could actually get two teams in, and I could see it. Yeah, I mean, they've gotten two in before, so I wouldn't be surprised that happens again. Let's go to the Big Ten. Ohio State, obviously the favorite with the uh, big transfer coming in there and uh, Justin, Field, Justin Fields. And 
thing I'm curious about that league is Michigan because Michigan under Harbaugh for years have done well against everybody in that league, but they cannot beat Ohio State. Is there any reason that would be different this year? Maybe. I mean, you know, but I think they got to worry about their schedule before they get to that one. Um, you know, they play Wisconsin, Penn State on the road. They play Notre Dame and Army at home uh, in non-con games. Play Michigan State and Notre Dame at home before they can even get to Ohio State. So I think their goal, you know, try to get to 10-1, and one, um, have a chance to win the Big Ten when you get there. I think it's almost going to be impossible to be 11-0 and 0 at that point. And, uh, you know, take a swing at the Buckeyes. He has won every game but that. He's not on the hot seat. I get that question all the time. And I think it's just a matter of winning that one game. And uh, maybe without Urban Meyer on the other sideline, they can do it. I still think Ohio State has the most talented team in the Big Ten. And uh, the big question there is how does Justin Fields, you know, make that happen as the quarterback? How does he, you know, take that offense to the same level that Dwayne Haskins did last season? Yeah, so obviously you Fields going to Ohio State is a big deal. Do you think he makes them a national title contender? I mean, well, they're already a national title contender. It's just that we keep it one. They, they have enough talent typically to – I mean, look, they, they were – you could have made the strong argument they should have been in the playoffs the last two years, but it's that one loss in a weird situation that, that's gotten them both years. And national championship teams don't do that. So I, I think they're they're going to be good enough to compete for a national championship, but there are also a lot of the unknowns there. It, it's hard when you have a first-year coach. I know he coached as an interim coach last year and then a first-year quarterback and we'll see how it goes. But, I mean, where Urban Meyer was so good and Ryan Day is going to have to be good is in those big-game situations. Yeah, for sure. Let's go to the Big 12 now. Oklahoma, obviously, the favorite there. And do you think – who do you think is the biggest challenger to Oklahoma? Oh, in Texas. Yeah, Texas and Oklahoma. Those are the those are the two schools that are really going to duke it out there. I think Sam Ellinger and Texas have a ton of momentum. We like them at Sporting News. We picked them to make the playoffs. So – we think that they've built on that. It's not saying Oklahoma's going to be bad. I think Jalen Hurts will have a big year, stats-wise, and put up some numbers at quarterback, but they lost their offensive line. Texas showed they could beat them last year. I don't think it's a real edgy pick to say Texas is going to make the playoff, um, you know, but, but some people think that, and I think it'll be interesting to see if and how they get there. But, I mean, those are the two best teams. Iowa State will be in the mix. TCU will be in the mix. Um Maybe Oklahoma State makes a run, but that, I mean, it's business as usual in Texas and Oklahoma at the top. Yeah, let's go to the last Power Five conference, the uh, Pac 12. Obviously, Washington's up there as a favorite, Oregon's up there as a favorite. Who do you think comes out of that league? Probably Oregon or Washington. Yeah, I mean, Utah's popular pick. I mean, I think we, Sporting News, we picked Oregon, and you mentioned earlier Justin Herbert coming back, big reason why. They've got a tough. They've all got tough road games, and I mean, when you play non-conference games, that's the thing. Um, you know, it makes it really hard on the Pac-12 because they got to travel a little more. They, they've big, a huge portion of the country that they have to travel for road games. So, I still like Oregon to win it. I wouldn't be surprised if Washington did. Um, you know, because Chris Peterson, that's how he likes it. When you're not talking about him a lot, they're probably better off. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. So. One more thing I want to ask about the just the teens in general before we go to big topics. So, like, what who's a sleeper you like? Who's a team that's not getting a lot of hype? You think I'm having a very good year? Well, there aren't a lot of sleepers out there in this in this setup because it's really hard. Like I said, once you get out of the top fifteen, you know, a lot of people are talking about Utah and Nebraska. Uh, Auburn could be interesting because they've got their last month at home. They just got to get there. I mean, Iowa State's interesting to me because new quarterback running back. they got to beat Iowa early in the season. They haven't done that. I think they were pretty close last year. Matt Campbell's one of the best coaches up and coming in the country, and I look for that to continue. So, if, I mean, if you're looking for somebody totally off the radar that's not being mentioned at all as a playoff team, I'd probably go with Iowa State. Okay, so obviously we got the non-conference schedule starting in a couple of weeks, so which non-conference game are you most excited to see? I mean, you know, there's a lot of good ones. Georgia-Notre Dame will be fun down there in Athens. It always is. I think uh, the Auburn-Oregon game at Jerry World, LSU-Texas is huge. I mean, those are the three that kind of stick out in September in terms of where there's a lot on the line in terms of the playoffs. And I think the SEC actually has more to lose in some of those games. I mean, but it could trickle down. I mean, Oklahoma-Houston, Jalen Hurts' debut, and he's going up against the guy, Derek King. 
uh, for Houston that, that had 50 total touchdowns last year and didn't play the whole season. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple others out there, but I mean, those are the ones that stick out at least early in the season. I mean, and, and right off the top, I mean, quite honestly, I'm, I'm excited for Miami, Florida, because that means we're getting started. Um, two Florida schools kind of looking to make a statement right away, and uh, that'll be good. We'll definitely be good, and this is my last question for you. So, who are your picks of the four teams to make the college football playoff? Um, you know, I, it's it's pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, Alabama and Clemson, we we're, we're picking them like everybody else. Uh, picked Ohio State uh, to win the Big Ten and get in this year. And I think with their schedule, they would be. And like I said, we took Texas. So I think we had Clemson matched up with Texas. Clemson winning that one. Alabama, Ohio State, Alabama getting through and winning that one. And then, you know, Alabama, Clemson five. And when that happens, everybody's going to complain that there should be eight teams in the playoff and the playoff sale and all those kind of dry talking points that, that distract from the fact that those are the two best teams and you still have to beat them. All right, there you have it. That was Bill Bender on college football. Bill, thanks for all the time today. Before I let you go, do you want to let everybody know how to find on social media and some of the stuff you're up to for the sporting news? Yeah, I'm at, uh, at BillBender92 at SportingNews.com. Uh, no, a lot of fun. And uh, glad to be talking to you, and hopefully we can catch up a few times during the regular season. That would be great, Bill. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. And no problem. And there you have it. That is Bill Bender on the college football season, college football action kicking off in the next couple of weeks. Up next, we're going to dive into the world of Hard Knocks and the Antonio Brown drama right after this. Right, we are back on the Just and Suffering podcast. If you heard that music, you are very familiar with it. That is the theme to the HBO series Hard Knocks, the show that focuses on training camp for an NFL team every summer. This year is focusing on the Oakland Raiders. Joining me today to break down the premiere of the latest season of Hard Knocks is our resident football guy that we haven't heard from in a little while on this podcast, Joe Dalvizio. Joe, welcome back. How are you? It's been a while. Always a pleasure to join the podcast, Mike. Glad to have you back on, and obviously you watched the first episode, correct? Correct, I did. What were your thoughts on it? Well, first off, uh, right off the bat, the Hard Knocks music, yeah. it just gets the juices flowing. When Hard Knocks is back on, football season is truly right around the corner. Yeah. So, you could be any team, I'm watching Hard Knocks. Yeah. I've watched, I think, pretty much every year since the Jets were on. I've watched every one. Uh, it just gets you so ready yeah. for the season, the music, the footage, the hitting, the storylines uh, that are surrounding some popular players, some non-popular players. Um, it's all around great. Yeah, I mean, I thought last year with the Browns was probably their best one they've ever done in terms of like the personalities that emerged from it between like the offensive line coach and uh, who was the defender who was giving them economic lessons? I don't remember off the top of my head. I remember that was a standout moment. It was. I, I think this year has a ton of potential yeah. with the Raiders because Gruden's back, and you could tell he's already animated. Yeah. Um, you have Antonio Brown, who he has his, his baggage. Yeah. And you have a few characters already that they're starting to focus on just through episode one. Yeah. So I think this one has just as much potential and the opportunity to be just as good as these past episode, uh, these past seasons. Yeah, you mentioned John Groomy, a great character. I already ripped his speech at the beginning of the episode. I, it's a little it's censored because it's a family friendly podcast, but I did, the message still gets there. So let's listen to Gruden's opening speech. And that comes. I think this is right before they play the theme song. Everybody right now has dreams, don't they, guys? I said it to the rookies, all right? Everybody in the NFL, I have a dream of making it in the NFL. I got a dream of winning a Super Bowl. I got a dream of being in a Pro Bowl. I'm really not into dreams anymore, okay? I'm into nightmares. You guys with me on that? You got to end somebody's dream. You got to take their job. You got to take their heart. Are you guys, you guys clear about this NFL now? We're not trying to go to the Peach Bowl. We're not trying to go to the Gator Bowl or the Blue Bonnet Bowl, we're trying to go to the Super Bowl, okay? And to do that, 
you got to really try to end somebody's dreams. Are you clear on that, Farrell? Okay, I mean that now. So get into that. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I may jump over the mic and hit you. That's how <laughs> pumped up I am after hearing that. Yeah, we're not going to the Blue Body Bowl anymore. That was phenomenal. Yeah. Like, how doesn't that get you pumped up if you're sitting there watching it? And then the music hits, oh, yeah. you're hooked. And yep. if you're not, come on. What did you think of the choice to add the little voiceover they did to the Raider intro where they had basically the speech about being a Raider underneath the music? Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. The Autumn Wind? Yeah. It's a staple. You yeah. don't think Raiders football without hearing that song. Yeah. So I think incorporating that made total sense. Obviously, it's going to fit. I expect to see it even more throughout the, the entire season, to be honest with you. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. definitely a lot of fun that episode. Like obviously Gruden was the star. Gruden had a lot of great speeches. That one when he's lecturing Jonathan Abram was the other star of his episode about like right time to start hitting people. And that that, that thought that was great. I love that moment where he's like, I just want to hit people, coach. He's like, You don't have to hit coach. He's like, You don't have to play on my team if you're gonna do that. I uh I didn't know Abram was so I didn't know much about Abram, but I didn't know he was so so, so talkative, yeah. so involved already as a rookie. Yeah. That says a lot about a guy. Yeah. I mean, that shows that he has a lot of potential, in my opinion at least, that he has a lot of potential on and off the field to kind of be that leader. Yeah, yeah, he definitely does. He was the star of this episode. I mean, he was out, out, of the, out in wine country. He was horseback riding. He was debating Derek Carr how to pronounce salmon. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, I think the horseback riding was great. Yeah. And they did a good job um, playing Old Town Road during yeah, that. Yeah. It fit perfectly. Um, I thought the Derek Carr conversation was a little awkward because okay. he was basically like, hey, you got a ton of money, so get ready to pay. I don't know. <laughs> it just sounded very awkward, and Derek Carr didn't seem very comfortable. He was just like, it's salmon. Yeah. It was. He was very short with all his answers. And maybe that's how Derek Carr is, but um, – I think we we're we're gonna expect a lot from Abrams every single episode now. Yeah, I thought Derek Carr was a little bit of a letdown, to be honest with you. I thought like, he was kind of bland compared to some other people in this episode. I didn't really think Derek Carr would bring you something, you know, would bring that energy if that's what you were looking for. I think um, the fact that they got a guy in there in Antonio Brown. Yeah, I'm. I have a I have a strong feeling, and you could tell by after episode one that it's gonna be a lot about Antonio Brown here. Yeah, it is. Another guy I was surprised got a lot. I actually shouldn't be surprised he got a lot of spotlight, but the guy from Last Chance, you, Raul Ali, who was on the team at that point, like, he did not seem like he was doing too well. Okay. I, w- I wish they had more of Ronald Ali. Yeah. Because I watched Last Chance, you. I don't know if you – are you familiar with Last Chance? I'm familiar. Chance? I've not got a chance to watch it yet. So I've, I watched it when Ronald Ali was on it, and he was a character. Like, he yeah. was funny. Like, and I understand it's not – this is a business now. Like, you're in the NFL. you got to make the team. If you suck, you're going to get cut, and that's what they did to him. If yeah. you're going to be lazy – you're gone. Yeah. So, by the way, spoiler alert for episode two. <coughs> Hasn't aired yet, but he did get cut by the Raiders. So, it's got to be shown tonight. It was shown in episode one. It was? Yeah. They I packed must, up his stuff. I must have missed that. Yeah, they packed up his stuff at the end at the end of episode one. So, it was a spoiler alert for episode one that he got cut. Yeah, so mm-hmm. if you didn't watch it, then nah, that's on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, did, you did say spoiler alert. Yeah. So, hopefully. Yeah, he did get cut. Yeah. I, I was just surprised. Because he's a character. He was yeah. really funny in Last Chance U. Um, and they did a good job of telling that story and not getting too deep into it because, again, it's about the Raiders and not Ronald Ali. Yeah. But um, I thought he would have brought some comedic um, moments if he was if he was around a little longer. But, again, it's a business. You're here to play football. You're here to make a team. You're here to make a difference. If you don't go to treatment, get lost. Yeah. I like that mentality. Yeah. And obviously, like, there were so many personalities on that team that, like, and Abram gave them so much stuff. It's like, look, it's a case they had so much footage, they had to cut some stuff to make it a one-hour episode. But, like, we barely saw Richie Incognito in this episode. No Vontez Burke was a pride. I thought for sure he would get at least, like, a segment or, like, a two-minute bit in the episode. Well, now I'm curious what, what else we're going to see from Richard, uh, Richie Incognito. Yeah, the thing with Guy Fieri was funny. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Um, another low-key uh, low moment that I laughed at was when Antonio Brown gets to camp and he's on the field with his kids, and the kids go, where's Roethlisberger? <laughs> yeah. And he had to kind of explain, like, oh, that's not my quarterback anymore, Derek Carr. Yeah. And they're, they're like, who's that? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Also, I don't know if you noticed it, but back at the beginning of the episode when they were going to Antonio Brown's house, you noticed a piece of bacon floating in his pool. 
No. There was a like, when they showed his pool. He looked close up. They showed like a float and like a few was a piece of bacon floating in the pool in the water. Are you sure it was a piece of bacon? It looked like a piece of bacon. I will now have to go back just to that scene to see if it was a piece a it, piece of bacon. It looked like bacon. Also, another great moment on this episode. John Madden. Yeah. I love that. When he gets yeah. on the on the sled. Yeah. And he's explaining it, and then they're going from shots of him on the sled explaining it to modern-day practice. I thought that was great. Yeah. And obviously, the other one I think is – we think we're going to see more of tonight, episode two. I think, obviously, you're going to get a, a live Antonio Brown showing what's been going on with him the last couple of days. Who else do you think we're going to see more of tonight? I think you're definitely going to see a lot more Antonio Brown. I think this whole this whole episode – may be centered around Antonio Brown. I mean, he's got between the injury, right, between the whole helmet debacle, I think you could expect to see him all over this episode. Yeah, you brought up Antonio Antonio Brown's helmet debacle. Obviously, Antonio Brown's a lot of stuff going on with him. First of all, he has not played a game yet. He's barely been practicing because apparently he did you? I don't know if his, how this is possible. Apparently, he went to get cryotherapy on his foot and got frostbite because he had the wrong footwear i mean how do you let that happen that i don't know clearly i don't know maybe he just went in without waiting for somebody maybe he he thought y'all i'll be fine if i just wear the these sandals or slippers instead of the normal ones um i think he was it was just he was either unattended and he just went in yeah or it was just you know carelessness yeah, and I don't know if you saw this on NFL memes on Facebook. I had this great close up called out the Madden curse of Antonio Brown, where they zoom in on the cover and it said frostbite. It said frostbite. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I, I'm like the Madden curse strikes you in weird ways. So, Chief fans might be concerned about Patrick Mahomes being on the cover this year. That that would be really sh- <laughs> that was weird when I saw that screenshot. I did I did laugh though. Yeah, and Antonio Brown. We'll touch on him for a minute. They had the whole great thing. I don't know if you saw the. 20 tweet thread from Michael Silver from NFL Media over the weekend where he broke down everything that happened with Antonio Brown over the course of about a couple of months. I'll give you some highlights from that stuff. We'll react to it. So I had the thread pulled up. It's Mike It's at Mike Silver on Twitter. In terms of the frost, the frostbite, he said, Brown initially left to seek initial medical opinion on his frostbitten feet. Before leaving, Brown pushed back for a third time because the league's probation of the helmet model is worn for his entire nine-year career. And he had some other bizarre things going on with the helmet where, in case you're not familiar, he wore – he's wearing the old helmet model that has now been since banned because it's 10 years old. It's not safe according to the NFL anymore. So here is some interesting stuff here. Antonio Brown, he was told that the helmet was not allowed, and once again he acquiesced and wore the new model. Before Brown arrived at training camp last month, coaches and teammates believed the issue had been resolved. But Brown, who had practiced on his tender feet for only two days before leaving Napa, seeking another opinion – Tried yet again to sneak his old helmet onto the practice field, only being told by team officials to remove it. He's still freaking out about it, said one Raiders player. He hasn't been here for a while, and no one knows where he's at. And apparently one time, he, Brown wants to, he repainted the helmet so that it would approximate the silver and black colors of the Raiders. He must really love this helmet. He's obsessed with this helmet. He, he must really love it. I mean, how obsessed you have to be? You have to paint the helmet yourself to match the Raider colors so that you can wear it. I guess you're just comfortable. You know, when you're comfortable with something and you feel good in something, you don't want to change something. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And then some other stuff with him from Silver. He said, since joining the Raiders, Brown has frustrated his bosses by showing up late to numerous meetings and by often appearing unfocused in them. Brown, according to eyewitnesses, typically glanced at the screens of several tablets and his smartphone during meetings, distracting himself by engaging activities, which include perusing his bank accounts, and liking photos on Instagram. That's a great guy to have in your locker room. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all the things you don't want to read when you get a star-wide receiver. Yeah. I, I mean, as a Jeff, I'm thankful they got Bell and not him because I Bell mean, just want to be paid. You, you, look at, you look at the Raiders roster right now, and there's not a lot of names that pop up. Like, he is the name of that roster. Yeah. It, it's going to be interesting to see, A, how he plays, and B, how he gels with this team. And right off the bat, it seems like he's already alienated himself. And he's like, hey, I'm here for one last paycheck and I'm the man. And I don't care what anybody says because what I say goes here. It's so funny because like when he came in the league, he was like just like an average guy. He was just like making catches and worried about his work on the field. I feel like he's more from Antonio Brown into AB. And AB has become sort of like 
the diva in the mold of like your tos your beckhams like that kind of group i feel like now he's become like a trying he's all about him and that's sort of ruining his football legacy what what's crazy about this is if antonio brown shows up on the field nobody cares yeah you know that's what it comes down to if he ends up playing very well and at a high level and he's healthy and the raiders somehow get into the playoffs Nobody's going to care about this helmet. Nobody's going to care about the frostbite. No one's going to care that he came to practice in a hot air balloon. Yeah. He showed up to camp in a hot air balloon. Yeah. Uh, you know, it all comes down on how he performs. If he struggles, then it's going to go, okay, Antonio Brown was selfish all offseason. That explains why lack of effort, lack of practice, that explains why he's doing what he's doing right now. Do you take his threat seriously that he's threatened to, to not play if he can't wear these old helmets? No, he's playing. Yeah. He's 100% playing. I find it hard to believe he'd walk away from $30 million to uh, over a helmet. No, he's playing. And I, part of me thinks that this became a little bit of a bigger fiasco than it had to be because they're on hard knocks. Yeah. Like, here's another storyline that they just gave HBO, basically. Yeah. HBO must be thrilled right now. At this Without storyline. a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think that, do, that doesn't it, that does make sense. You know, it, why else over a helmet? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, I, f- I feel like, again, I feel like episode two is going to be the Antonio Brown episode of Hard Knocks. We're just going to basically throw- thread him through the entire episode and have other stuff going there, on. There's the a lot of other guys on this roster that, you know, they got some more episodes, obviously, to to showcase. But there's in each episode, Antonio Brown will be the main focus. Yeah, I think now, though, the heat is so high because this is a big national story. I feel like they're going to just lean right into it and just have him be the main. They have to. Yeah, they have to. So it'll be exciting stuff to watch on HBO tonight. If you have not seen it yet, go back, watch episode one, get ready for episode two. Joe, thanks for all the time today, breaking down Hard Knocks and AB. Before I let you go, do you want everybody to know how to follow you on social media? Sure. So you can follow me on social media, specifically Twitter, at Joe, double underscore. Do not forget that double. Do not forget it. Double underscore, D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. All right, there you have it. Joe, thanks for all the time. And one thing, did you happen to hear about the – MLB's decision to play the game in Iowa next year for the Field of Dreams. I did. I like that. Yeah, I do like that a lot. I'm going to talk about that up next on the podcast in this week's Two Minute Drill right after this. All right, we are back at this week's two-minute drill. That clip you just heard from the classic baseball movie, Field of Dreams. And it is very relevant this week because MLB has announced that they're having a game in Iowa for the first time next season right near the set of Field of Dreams on August 13th, 2020. Literally one year from the date I'm recording this. The Chicago White Sox will be the home team. They're going to take on the New York Yankees. They are building a temporary stadium there. It's going to see about 8,000 people. And it's right next to the set of the iconic movie from 1989 featuring Kevin Costner and company. And you're going to have it set up so there's going to be a path from that set through the cornfields to the temporary stadium. And that is awesome. I love Field of Dreams, and it is the best baseball movie, in my opinion. If you have not seen it, go see it. And for those of you who think Field of Dreams is bad, I don't know what to do with you. I just don't. I think it's a great job by MLB here to pay tribute to this movie and get the game to a unique place. And they've done a good job this over the last couple of years. They've been putting on regular season games on different venues throughout the country, throughout the world, honestly, to help grow the brand of baseball. I mean, the last couple of years, we had the Little League Classic where they're MLB sends two teams play in the Little League World Series at Williamsport. That's always fun. This year, they sent the Royals and the Tigers to Omaha for the first ever regular season game in Nebraska, where they play the College World Series. They had the Marlins and the Braves play at Fort Bragg for the military a couple of years ago. We had games in London this year, Mexico this year. We had games in Japan, Australia, Puerto Rico in the past, and the Mets are going back there next year, and they play the Marlins in Puerto Rico for a three-game set. That's a lot of fun. 
I think this is the kind of thing baseball should keep doing. You have 162 games of inventory per team. There are plenty of opportunities to send the game somewhere that it is not usually played, get fans excited, and get people invested in the sport of baseball. I think you have a couple things you do here. I think, number one, you keep the Little League and College World Series venues going annually. The Little League one is great because you're reaching out to the kids who are there. They get to see Major League action in in a small town in Pennsylvania. That's a lot of fun. I think the College World Series one also about growing the game. I think that's a fun idea, and that stadium is great out in Omaha. I'd like to see that. Why not go someplace that you haven't been before also? How about Hawaii, for instance? I know there was minor league baseball in Hawaii back in the 70s and 80s, but like, you think that two bait teams would not love to go to Hawaii for a, a three-game set? What two teams would not say, you know what, here's a free trip to Hawaii to go play baseball? Who would not love that? Alaska. Another fun idea because I know the weather is a concern during the year, but you put in the middle of the summer, you have some fantastic views up in Alaska. It'll be a lot of fun to see. How about Louisville? Louisville, Kentucky, where the bats are made. Another iconic ode to baseball history. The big one for me, though, I feel like you need a regular season game at Doubleday Field in Cooperstown. They used to stage an exhibition there for many years. That ended, I think, back in 2008, 2009-ish. But I feel like when you're sending teams to Williamsport, sending teams to Omaha, sending teams to, to Iowa, for instance, how can you not have a game in Cooperstown every year during the regular season? This, the Hall of Fame, is the showcase of baseball. But baseball does a bad job in terms of giving it the attention it deserves. The Hall of Fame weekend is on a random weekend during the regular season where every team is playing a game. When the inductees are being honored on Sunday, every team is playing a game on Sunday. So if you're a Met fan and the Mets are playing, let's say, somebody, play the Braves, you're gonna you're not going to watch your team play because you're going to watch the Hall of Fame ceremony? I don't think so. That's not a good idea. The Hall of Fame ceremony becomes an afterthought, and that's a problem. Football has it right. Football has the Hall of Fame stuff in the preseason before week one. They have one game in the preseason featuring two teams with ties to inductees. That's played one day, and then the weekend is given to itself. The Hall of Fame has the spotlight. Baseball needs to do that, but the problem is, obviously, the schedule. You have so many games. You have a lot of travel time in place here. You have travel concerns with some of these, which is why you've seen stuff like London, they had to give the Yankees Red Sox two days off before and a day off after. Well, you're calling teams to go outside their comfort zone. So I'm going to combine. Here's my idea. I'm combining the Pro Bowl approach of the NFL, where it's by itself, with the NBA's approach to the All-Star Week, where they have basically every team a week off of games and reset the sport. So the center of the sport is the All-Star site. Here's what I think you do. You play the first half. Sunday's the last of the first half. You shift the Futures game from Sunday to Monday night. That game is another game that showcases the young talent of the sport it's not being seen because it's on the same time as regular season baseball games. Put that Monday night. Shift the home run derby from Monday night to Tuesday night. The game goes from Tuesday to Wednesday. So again, that spreads baseball out a little bit so that it's not completely just like buried in the so that there's no dead spots in there. Thursday, Friday, off days. Saturday, you have a Hall of Fame game. Ideally featuring two teams, you have projected guys to go in. Then Sunday is the actual induction ceremony where everyone's off to see it. I think this is a much better system for a lot of reasons. Number one, you have a full week off for the teams. It gives the all-star participants more rest as well because they're not going to be racing from their site on Sunday to get there to play a game Tuesday and then be back in action on Friday. I think that's great. You're already starting a season next year on March 26th. You can afford to build the extra off days into your calendar to make this system work. You don't need to have like a ridiculous amount of gains here. They're basically asking for three more off days. You can figure it out. This showcases the entire sport for a week in the middle of the summer when there's nothing going on. There is 
only NBA free agency. Training has not started yet for football. Hockey's done. College football's not started yet. Baseball has the spotlight to itself in the middle of July. So why not make a whole week of baseball in the center of July? You have 162 games. You can afford to have everybody give give up a home game now and then to grow the game this way. This would be my way to do it, but baseball should listen and consider more ways to make the game even better going forward. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Bill Bender, for calling in to break down the big headlines entering the college football season. And for Joe Dalvisio for swinging by the studio to break down the first episode of Hard Knocks and the craziness surrounding Antonio Brown. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my five takeaways from the Jets-Giants preseason opener, as well as our bonus episode last week featuring Pete Consori and John Stanko, breaking down Stranger Things and movies in general, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms, and you will find the episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Tweet me with hashtag BaseballHOFGame. You made it to the end of this week's show. Next week, we're going to preview the U.S. Open, the tennis tournament starting in Flushing Meadows. In a couple of weeks, we will break down the big headlines heading into that. We'll talk about the Mets, see how they did on this road trip to Atlanta and Kansas City, see where they are standing in the playoff chase, and more. Until then, I've got a better week than Pittsburgh Pirate fans. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the 